Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 6, 1 to 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. You speak to us. You give us life. This morning, I ask that you would help us to hear you, to see you, to be open to the life you want to give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been in a series this summer called Seven Psalms and Seven Signs where every other week we're either looking at a psalm or we're looking at one of the signs in John. Um, And today we're going to look at another sign in John, in John 6, and you can turn in the Blue Bibles if you'd like um, to follow along. It's on page 891. But here's where I'd like to start this morning, uh, with with the end of the world. So... um, There's no shortage of stories that sort of describe or talk about a post-apocalyptic dystopian landscape. Uh, And and these stories are really fascinating. I really, I enjoy them um, because I think that they ask a lot of interesting questions. And here's just a list that came to mind when I was thinking about this uh, and, and some of the stories that are kind of out there, at least over the last few years. And one of the things that they have in common is they kind of create an environment or an experience in which there's a world defined by scarcity. 
There is not enough. Um, if you take the road, for example, you have this, something has happened and there's a, there's a father and a son who, who are walking this landscape looking for food. And there's so little food that people actually begin to consume one another. And that's also a motif in some of these stories. Um, of course, Mad Max, right, there's a shortage of water. And so you see a world that doesn't have any water. What are people going to do? The Handmaid's Tale and Children of Men. When, when there's a shortage of life, what kind of world will then be created? And then you have no shortage of, of stories about the zombie apocalypse. Um, and honestly, like, they just keep on going. They're always there. 28 days later, Dawn of the Dead, The Walking Dead which is on season, like, 59. And then you have... And then they're like, what, what do we do? We'll just put Fear the Walking Dead in front of it. And, we'll make, and then they just keep on going with all these ideas of, of, of this world kind of ravaged by zombies, by the dead, asking the question, like, what are people going to do when there's not enough? Um, what are people going to do when they have a world in which it seems like there will be no future. What is left? And this is one thing I think is an interesting question that this, these movies or these types of stories kind of ask me is, who do we become when we fear there isn't enough? What type of people do we become when we fear there isn't enough? That is a question that I think these stories ask of us. And connected to this sort of idea of scarcity is this pervading sense of fear, right? Because when there isn't enough, you begin to be afraid. And you begin to live out of fear. If you don't have enough, then what you have, you need to be sure that you hold on to tightly. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says it this way, an ideology of scarcity says, no, there's not enough, so hold on to what you have. In fact, don't just hold on to it, hoard it. Put aside more than you need, so that if you do need it, it will be there, even if others must do without. And the thing about this question, the thing about these stories, is what they do in like, these fictional landscapes is actually they tap into how we often live life. They tap into the sphere that, of scarcity that I think we live into all the time. There isn't enough time or opportunity or success or money or land or property. There isn't enough of it. So I, make, I need to make sure that I hold on to it. When we come to John 6, and I think we're offered a narrative that flies in the face of the narrative of scarcity. It's a narrative of God's abundance. It's a narrative of God's generosity. And of course, at the center of this story is the person of Jesus. So this is an all-too-familiar story. Jesus feeding the 5,000, and you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I get it. So there were five loaves and fishes, and Jesus just gave all these people a lot of food. But I think it's actually worthy of consideration, and all the time, this idea of who God is. This idea of, of who God has revealed himself to be through the person of Jesus, that he would give superfluously to the people around him. So this sign is actually similar to the last sign that we talked about in John 5, where Jesus is actually kind of taking stock of, 
of his environment and what's going on. Somebody doesn't come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we don't have enough food. Jesus, actually, with his disciples, sees that the crowds are following him, and he says, how are all these people going to eat? Jesus is totally being sly here. And it says in John, he's testing Philip. It's like, I'm not even prepared, right? And he's like, boom, food. And he's like, how are these people going to eat? What are they going to do? And Philip's like, well, we don't, even if we had this much money, we wouldn't be able to, to give that much food to the people. But then there's a disciple named Andrew, Peter's brother, who says, well, we have five loaves and fishes, but what are they for so many? And I love that question. I love Andrew in the story because I am Andrew. We have, all, we have this, but what are they for so many people? And Jesus, he tells the disciples, well, have them sit down. Have the people, the multitude, sit down. And it says that, that Jesus then takes the bread and he gives thanks. And people begin to eat. And there's enough for everybody. And not only is there enough, there's an abundance. There are leftovers. And so he tells the disciples to go and pick up what's left. And they fill 12 baskets of leftovers. God's generous abundance for people who are hungry. And it doesn't say that people are starving, right? It doesn't say that people haven't eaten for a long period of time. No, people are here. And Jesus simply wants to feed them. Jesus simply wants to make their world, their experience in this moment, better. It's an amazing, wonderful picture of a God who sees, like he had, did in the last sign, and who is able to provide and to give. So, so I want to th- think about this story in a few different ways. And the first thing I want to say about this miracle is that it's actually found in every single gospel. It's the only miracle that's found in every single gospel. It's not unique to John. And here are all the different references of where you can find it. So if it's not unique, then what might that be saying? What might its kind of presence in all of these places What point might they be making? Well, I think the idea of God's abundance and love is so central to who the gospel writers are writing to and what they're wanting to say, and not just specific to their audience, but to everybody. That this is a thing about God that we are to get and that we are to understand. That God is a God who gives and provides and does so abundantly. So it's, it's non-uniqueness is something to take into account and to really consider for its important. Because it pictures, or it provides a picture of a God who, or it reminds us, right, throughout the biblical story, of a God who's always been giving to his people. Bread is all over the Bible. Like if you read stories, there's always bread happening here, bread there, people eating, and it's just bread everywhere. But it's a, it's a really specific picture of God providing. I mean, you think of Jesus, I am the bread of life. You think of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. I mean, there's something so central to the, to the sustenance and the nourishment of bread 
and who we're to, how we're to think about God. And God's abundance is all over the, the story of Scripture, all over from beginning, even the beginning of, of Genesis 1, God ab- creating abundantly a world in which it provides for the people who are in the garden. Of course, the Exodus story, when people are brought out of Egypt and they start to complain because they're hungry, God rains heaven down from heaven. Rains bread down from heaven. (laughs) You know when you say things and you're like, that didn't sound right, but I can't figure out why it was? This time I figured it out. So God rained bread down from heaven. And then the people were nourished. They were taken care of. There's this interesting story in 2 Kings where this prophet Elisha is with, with these men of God who are tired. And this man comes with, with bread for 20, 20 loaves, I think it says. And Elisha's like, well, give it to these hundred men. And he's like, how, how can I do this? And he's like, just do it. The Lord said that, that there will be enough for people. And it turns out, surprise, there's enough. Just as the Lord said. And so in this text, actually in verse, 10, verse 15, when it says that, God, that Jesus is a prophet, it's connected to that story in 2 Kings 4. Because, oh, Elisha the prophet multiplied bread, so Jesus is too. He is a prophet of God. This is something God does, is he provides for his people. And we see that from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the story. In Revelation, where God is a God who gives and gives and gives. As Jeremy Bear said, gave and gave and gave. That is the God revealed to us in the story from Scripture. And that's the story we're to live by. Not a story of scarcity, not a story of not enough, but a story of enough and a story of abundance. Brene Brown, I'm sure you've heard of her, amazing speaker. She's done the TED Talks that have been seen by millions. She wrote a book called Daring Greatly, another one called Rising Strong. She talks a lot about this, this culture of not enough, right? People thinking, oh, I am not enough. We don't have enough. And, and she's like, the, the antidote to, to scarcity, to not enough, is enough. And the narrative that confronts the narrative that you or I live out of a lot of the time of we don't have enough, or even the question of where the, will there be enough, so Jesus says, there's enough. Because I'm enough. There are a few things from this story that kind of struck me afresh that I can't stop thinking about. I can't stop wondering what it would have been like to be there in that moment when Jesus was multiplying the loaves and fishes. What would it have been like for the people who were close to Jesus when that was happening? I mean, think about it, 5,000 people. Now, if you've ever been to the Greek theater, I think that Greek theater is just over 5,000. So imagine that place packed out with people. Five loaves and, and two fish is able to feed all of the people who would be in the, the seats of the Greek theater. And so what would it look like to be there? What would it look like to be a disciple close to Jesus? I mean, how did it take place? I'm curious if they, like, 
if it was just one of those things that they would even realize what was happening, or were they too busy just passing out the food? Or were people just watching how it would, would to be multiplied? I mean, imagine, what would, you, what would you do in that moment? I wonder if Jesus is like, well, feed all the people, and they just begin to feed them, and then all of a sudden there's enough to go around. And then they're like, wait a second, how did that happen? Imagine the people who are way in the back. They may have no idea what's going on. They're just getting fed, and they're stoked on it. And maybe over time, the rumor kind of makes its way to the back. But at that point, does it really matter? <laughs> they're just, they're fed and nourished. I mean, I think that's an incredible thing to like locate yourself in the story of what might be taking place and what it would have been like to actually be there. I mean, what would it be like for Philip, right? Who's like, well, Jesus, of, of course we, I mean, there's just so many people here. Even if we had this much, it really wouldn't fill anybody up. Or if we were like Andrew, who's like, well, yeah, there's this boy who has loaves and fishes, but what are they for so many people? Well, imagine being that boy. All he has is five loaves and fishes, and he went there with his family probably just to eat. And all of a sudden, he's part of something far greater than he ever thought he would be part of. And so I think about us as a community, but not just as a community, as Christians in the world. And I, and I think we can find ourselves somewhere in that story. You know, at some point, we are just the people who are just being fed. And it's wonderful. And we might not even hear till later that, wow, that was because of what Jesus did. That's amazing. Or we might have a closer look. But we're not necessarily even seeing how it's happening because we're tasked with making people, the people around us, are taken care of and getting enough to eat. Or maybe we're like, we are like Andrew, where we say, yeah, this is all we have, but what are they? Maybe we're like the boy who never thought that what we would have would mean anything or be of any value. And I think if we were to maybe find ourselves in two characters, it would be Andrew and the boy. And I wonder if you're like the boy who thinks, well, this is all I have. I'm not really, I didn't come to give it away necessarily. I just, this is what I have. And then there's this person, Jesus, who's like, well, that's enough, actually. And let me show you that it is. And I wonder if, if you're here and, and you think, oh, I've never considered that what I have might actually be used for something greater. Well, I think Jesus is wanting to tell you that it can. So if you've never considered yourself as having something to give, you do. And Jesus wants to use it in a pretty remarkable way. Or maybe you're like Andrew, and I think that a lot of us can be there. Where we actually look around and we see like smatterings of things, little things here, that's cool, that's great. 
but what are they for so many? Yeah, that's nice, but that's not going to really make any difference. Eh. That's all right. But there's just so much to do. There's just so many people around. But what if Jesus wants to surprise us? What if Jesus wants to surprise you? What if Jesus wants to surprise the world through the few loaves and fishes that you have, that I have, that we have together? What if we're called to be the people who feed the multitudes, to trust in Jesus that there is enough, to trust in Jesus that we don't have to fear that there isn't enough, that to live out of a narrative of scarcity, but rather to believe in God's abundant generosity. I started this morning with a question that these post-apocalyptic dystopian films ask. It's who do we become when we fear there isn't enough? And I wonder if this text or a question that perhaps Jesus is asking us is who might we become if we believe that in Christ there is enough? Who might we become if we believe in Christ there is enough? And I think our Christian life is to be lived in such a way that we discover the answer to that question. I believe that our life as individuals, like we are to live as an answer to that question. Who might I become if I believe that there is enough in Christ? The Indiana Jones metaphor is so perfect. Who might we become if we believe and can take that step? I'm not going to do that right now. But where, like, what, truly, like, what is God asking of you? What is God asking of me? What is God asking of us? Where we need to believe that in Christ there is enough to go and to do what he's asking us to do. Our life is to be living as a way to answer that question and to discover the different ways that that question might be answered. That, I think, is the question before all of us as people who profess our hope in the living God, as people who profess faith in the God who gives and gives and gives and doesn't stop giving all the way to offering his very self on the cross in the resurrection. I mean, that is the God in whom we have hope. That is the God in whom we can trust, in whom we can believe there is enough. We're going to, in just a moment, there's going to be an opportunity to receive prayer. Um, There are going to be people on the sides of this place, and we're going to be singing songs. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask everybody to stand And if you, for whatever reason, any reason, feel as if you need the sustenance and the nourishment of God, go receive it. Go receive it. And receive it through prayer.
You know, one of the things, it's like the question that might be asked, okay, this is great, but how do we believe that Christ is enough? Well, I think the first place to begin is to stop. I just thought of stop, collaborate, and listen, which is so ridiculous. (laughs) Vanilla ice reference, anyone? No? All right. Yeah, you got it. But I do think that there's something to this idea of stop. That's why Sabbath is so central in the Christian faith. It's because what Sabbath proclaims is that the world actually continues to go and to move despite you doing anything. And I don't believe that. You can look at my life and you would know that I don't believe that. And we don't often believe that. But that is why there is the practice of letting yourself receive, of letting yourself be open to what God might want to do or say in your life. And I think a practice, how we might live into the idea of our life discovering what would it be like if we actually believed that in Christ there was enough. is to receive and then to see how the multitudes are fed. And we do that because we trust in the God who gives abundantly. So glory to God who is able to do far beyond all that we could ask or imagine by his power at work within us. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations, forever and always. Amen.